No matter how evil the destruction, no matter how bad it really is, God can deliver us. That's very, very important. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And we're going to teach about that in five minutes. It's going to be very interesting as we study Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 5. But first, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey. I am talking more details about the book of Micah today, wrapping up some from yesterday. Ryan. And today I'm profiling the prophet Micah. All right, very good. Look forward to that. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Janice, what are we doing today? Well, you know, this is our fun-filled Friday time, and I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see. I chose a question anywhere from Joel 1 all the way through to Micah 7. So get ready. We've got to answer questions. One really? question. One really? Question. Okay. Really. Well, very good. Excellent. Take your Bible guide and turn to the passage today as we begin the study. Micah 5, 5 through 15. And this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus, he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, that tarry for no man nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, who, if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will also cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands." I will pluck your wooden images from your midst, thus I will destroy your cities. And I will execute vengeance in anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. Micah chapter 5, verses 5 through 15. Micah chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. This is really interesting today. And as we seek truth in the world, we discover that there are many versions of truth. But is there a truth that is objective? Is there something that is always true, no matter what anyone thinks about it? To answer that question is, yes, there is. Even if we don't accept that truth, 
it is objective and it remains true. We can't change it. In other words, objective truth is right even when we don't feel right about it. And that is what we can also say about Micah chapter 5. God will bring his judgment of righteousness on everything we do, no matter what we feel about it. How we feel about the truth affects our thinking, but you know, it does not affect the way things are. God will judge the way we have treated each other and handled his truth. Now, it is a good idea for us to change our perception and our feelings of God and his righteousness based only on what he has said to us about himself. That's called reading the Bible. His truth is the only one that ultimately matters. In fact, his truth is the Bible. And so that's what we need to keep in mind. Now, as we go forward, think about this. Everybody's talking about truth and their version of truth. We got this person who attacks this person, nation, who attacks this nation, they say one thing. Then we got that nation who attacks that nation, they say something else and both claim the truth. But beloved, God's word is true, been tested by time over 2,000 years. It's been shaken by people and it's true by scholars throughout the centuries. And so we're going to study the word of God, the truth of God. Take out your Bible guide and turn to the page as we look at the most important book of all. And uh, as we do that, keep in mind that if you don't have your Bible guide, you can get yours uh, by calling us, writing us, or go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible page. It'll take you to the donate page. Thank you for your donations. I want to say that because it's very important. We don't tell you how much to donate because we expect that God will tell you and we'll live on that. The coming of Messiah in chapter five, we talk about the judgment of Israel's enemies. Then God pleads with Israel in chapter six. And then in chapter seven, the sorrow for Israel's sins. And also we talk about Israel's confession and comfort. Today we're talking about chapter five and let's go forward to verse five. Now this is important. As we look at these 15 verses, Let's hear what God says. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would speak to our hearts, to everybody listening. And I thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. And help us to hear you today. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. Micah chapter 5. This is interesting. Verse 5. Here is what the Bible says as we pick it up. It says, and this one shall be peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes to our land and when he treads within our borders. Now, this is fascinating. God delivers us from evil, no matter how threatening or powerful it is. As followers of Christ, we trust in God for our help. We trust in God for our help. 
there is a gentleman that I met, Ron Susat. He is a great minister and he's a great friend. And he wrote a book called The Assyrians. And many people have turned against the Assyrians. But let me tell you, there's so many Assyrians who are from the past and they have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and praise God. And we need to encourage them because God accepts everybody now in the New Testament period. Very, very important. But nevertheless, this passage reminds us, no matter how powerful evil is, that if we go to God, there's no way it can preside over us. Now keep that in mind because you are a special person. God has come into your life and you're unique and different. You're going to fulfill, if you've invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be Lord, you're going to fulfill what he said. Praise God. That is so great. All right, chapter 7 says, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that tarry, for no man, no wait, no, or, or no wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, who, if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries. Your adversaries, the people who are against you, and all of your enemies shall be cut off. Now this is to us, beloved. God deals with our enemies. How are we to treat them? We're to love them, but God deals with our enemies spiritually. As Christians, our help comes from the Lord. We need to remember that. As believers in Jesus Christ, we, we trust him and we say, Lord, we pray for our enemies. Help them. Just deal with them, Father. Help me to continue what I've been called to do. Deal with my enemies. And you know what God does? He deals with your enemies. He does. And he does this in the persecuted church. He does this all over the world because his word says he will. Very interesting. Now keep that in mind because a lot of people, they get up and oh, I'm going to go kill him. I'm going to, you know. No, God is going to deal with him. You pray for him. Maybe he'll come to know the Lord, your enemy. Very interesting, isn't it? Micah chapter 5, 10 to 15, last five verses. And it shall come to be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all of the strong, all of your strongholds. I will cut off the sorcerers from your hand and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will also cut off and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the works of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst. Thus I will destroy your cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. Wow. The Lord will punish the cities and the nations that have not obeyed him? Absolutely. As Christians, when we give our lives to follow the Lord, we receive his peace. And let me tell you something. We follow the Lord. He is the one who is, I, I, I'm a, a follower of Jesus Christ, and I, he's the one who's leading the way. And so I know he's going to win because I read the back of the book, Revelation. We're going to get there later. But also here, that's what he says. And Father, I pray today that we would hear that. And we would know that. Teach it to us, Lord. Show us your way. 
and teach us your path as we celebrate in a very dark time. We celebrate who you are and your provision for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And to go along with our Bible reading today, I'm going to be profiling the prophet Micah. And Micah of Moresheth is one of the 12 minor prophets of the Bible. Now, of course, minor refers to the length of his book, not to the importance of his message. In fact, Micah was a very, very important prophet of God whose message positively influenced the likes of Hezekiah and Jeremiah. Check it out. Although known to us as simply Micah, his Hebrew name was Micah Yahu, or Micaiah for short. It means who is like Yahweh, and interestingly, the prophet seems to hint at his own name in the biblical book that also bears his name, with the phrase, who is a God like you, in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. The Greek form of his name is Micaiah, but in Latin, it's Micah, from which we get the modern English derivation. Though not much is known about Micah's personal life, we do know that he was a great defender of the poor, which has earned him the moniker, the poor people's prophet. He ministered to both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, whose combined reigns spanned from approximately 751 to 687 BC, meaning he was a contemporary of the prophets Isaiah and Hosea, as well as the rural prophet Amos. In fact, similar to Amos, Micah was also a country prophet. He hailed from a Judean village called Moresheth, which apparently was a productive agricultural area about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Both Micah and Amos were also probably from families of relatively humble status. Is it any wonder then that both of these prophets had a heart for the poor, who were facing oppression at the hands of the rich and powerful? Indeed, it was a time in Israel's history when the people of Judah had become just as spiritually and ethically corrupt as the apostate northern kingdom of Israel had. The heirs to David's throne were practicing the same abominations as the illegitimate kings of the northern kingdom. A time of prosperity had hardened the rich who were oppressing the poor to the extent of denying them justice in the courts. The priests and prophets were performing the religious rituals as prescribed by Yahweh, but for a fee. The nation was engaging in idolatry, injustice, rebellion, and empty ritualism, all in the name of religion. But it was false. Thus Micah, much like James did in the New Testament, was calling people back to true religion, which he says is to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It is the very essence of the law, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Even though the northern kingdom of Israel refused to change her ways and was subsequently destroyed by the Assyrians, Micah's call for repentance was heeded by King Hezekiah, which spared Jerusalem from the Assyrian assault. 
Micah's words also later saved the life of Jeremiah, who was on trial for his prophecies. But when his accusers reviewed Micah's words, they found their messages to be much the same. Even though Micah was extremely angry about the sin of his people, he nevertheless had a pastor's heart. As one scholar observes, the prophet's anger and urgency are tempered by his tenderness, sympathy, and sorrow for his nation. And even though the whole nation was to face divine judgment, Micah points to a future time when it will be restored under the rule and reign of the promised Messiah. So as you can see, Micah's message was in no way a minor one. He, along with Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos, pleaded with God's people to repent of their sinful ways and turn to the living God. And much like James does in the New Testament, Micah declares what true religion is. He says, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It is the very essence of the law. Jesus summed it up like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Yeah, that's really good, Ryan. That is excellent. Um, and that's something that we need to remember today, especially in the world as it is now. Mm -hmm. We need to keep that in mind. So that's very good. Thank you. Corey? All right. Well, I mentioned on yesterday's program when I looked at the book of Micah and the prophet Micah that there were some details that I wasn't able to squish into my segment yesterday. So I thought we'd take some time today and, and just point them out in the scripture because I think they're really interesting. So the, the name Micah, as, as you're probably already aware at this point, means who is like the Lord. And the the prophet Micah himself, as you're reading through, if you have a really good study Bible, I would really encourage you to read the notes because in the original language, in Hebrew, Micah does a ton of puns and a lot of wordplay. This just seems to be part of his personality and part of how he would have presented the prophecies of God to the people. So his name is an example of this. He uses his name meaning in his book. So he opens up the book by letting us know who he is, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth. And Micah, of course, means who is like the Lord. But then in the very last chapter of his book, the very last stanza opens up with, who is a God like you? So he opens up his book with who is like the Lord and closes it, who is a God like you and begins personal praise of God again after a lot of the judgment talk. Uh, so also, you know, on yesterday's program, we talked about how Micah potentially was a local elder uh, because he is distinguished by his place, he distinguishes himself by the place where he was living rather than whose son he was or his officer or, or anything of that nature. Uh, so we get this idea of this local, local elder challenging these elite city leaders and elders of Jerusalem and Samaria. And so after he does this in chapter one, he, he challenges them, he brings judgment, talks about God's coming judgment on Samaria and Jerusalem, but then he moves into this morning in chapter one, where he's proclaiming a lament for uh, Jerusalem and Samaria, but also for the area directly around his hometown of Morsheth. Uh, he uses these cities, but it's really interesting because he opens up this, this lament in verse 10 with the verse, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. And 
it's easy to overlook this, but this is actually a quotation from King David. So if we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 1, King David is mourning the fall of the house of Saul. So Saul and Jonathan and all of Saul's sons have died in battle with the Philistines. And so now Micah is linking this for us linking David mourning for Saul with now the people are mourning for the house of David because the kingship has failed. It has fallen once again. And of course, the story's not over. The covenant of David is going to be fulfilled, but it's just very, a very interesting thing that Micah does. He loves connecting uh, themes uh, the, in his time with what had already gone on in the scripture. Uh, also, uh, you know, Micah is quoted later on in, in the New Testament, this is how the book of Micah is how the, the Magi knew to go to Bethlehem to look for Jesus. So if you remember in Matthew chapter two, the, the Magi, they go to King Herod and Herod has to call uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, they, they ask them, you know, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Because we saw his star, we're here to worship the Messiah. And they look back to Micah chapter five, verse two, that talks about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, and they're able to point him to Bethlehem. Uh, also, Jesus eventually quotes Micah as well. I, I will allow you to find that one on your own. It's like a little puzzle. It's a mystery. There's a quotation of Jesus in the scriptures from in the gospels. He quotes from the book of Micah, which is very interesting, talking about the divisiveness that would happen after Christ's, uh, you know, after Christ's, he, he comes in and he, he presents a different option to the people. He, he presents the, he presents as a Messiah that they were expecting expecting, but he's a little bit different than what they were expecting. So it creates division. Those are the only hints that I'm going to give you. Uh, but yes, those are some of the details that I wanted to bring up to you. Uh, and specifically in Micah chapter one, that's, you know, in Micah's mourning, in his lament. If you have a really good study Bible, go and look at the city names that Micah mentions. These are places that he would have known as a local person. They're really close to Morshef, to where he was from. And he's he's mourning them knowing that uh, they are going to face destruction because of the failure of the leadership of Jerusalem and Samaria. The book of the 12, which is the 12 minor prophets, is yeah. interesting because it has a lot of quotations about Yeshua HaMashiach. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does. <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, you have Joel, you have uh, Zechariah, you have Micah, mm -hmm. you have pretty much every prophet, you know, with the exception of Obadiah, maybe a few others. But isn't that interesting? The it really is. The 12 talks a lot about Jesus Christ. Yeah, Zechariah is loaded with, with I mean, all sorts of messianic language. They, they call is. that the messianic prophecy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. and he prophesies also about the end of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. The day yeah. of the Lord. Yeah. And even like when you look at Micah, he's he's standing before the destruction of Jerusalem. And it's really interesting that Christ would quote from him and that he would be prophesying about Christ because Christ himself prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem that would happen directly after uh, his ministry yeah. on earth as well. So the, the timing yeah. even yeah. matches up really well. I want to tell you, it really is fascinating reading these books and we need to continue to read them. But Tell us about understanding Saul. Yes, understanding. Because this is a good one. This is a good. All right. 
Offer. Go ahead. So I did a six-part or six-week Bible study on King Saul. So a lot of us know about King Saul, but we kind of have this flat understanding of him as some sort of villain. But the biblical picture is much more realistic, obviously, and it's much more complex and so interesting what we can learn about Saul. So this this Bible study, this six-week Bible study, takes you through the entire book of First Samuel. There's assigned reading. There's discussion questions with. Every、uh, Bible study and each Bible study is about half an hour long of teaching, and then the idea is that then you will add on half an hour of thinking about it and discussing it with your Bible study partner. So if you'd like to get a hold of it, you can either get a physical copy by calling to us, writing to us, or ordering on our website, or you can also、uh, get a digital download from our website for a suggested donation of sixty dollars. I recommend this. Excellent. Very good. Thank you, Corey. Okay, we have a minute thirty-six left. So,、mm-hmm. what in the world is the question? All right, I we have a question. question. And Corey, I liked how you slipped in a little bit of a of a tease there for people to go and find、yes. where Jesus quoted、uh, my God. That didn't go unnoticed <laughs>、uh, from from me. All right, so and anywhere from Joel one through to Micah seven, Ryan and Corey are going to have to answer it from here there on the hot seat. But I know there's a whole bunch of you at home that are just waiting. So here is the question: God showed. Amos, a basket of something. What was it? God showed Amos a basket of something. What was it? Was it a basket of bread? Was it a basket of fish? Was it a basket of summer fruit? What could it have been? A basket of bread, a basket of fish, or a basket of summer fruit? Who knows the answer? I can almost hear Bible pages. You know. What is、From、that word? Yeah,、Perfect. shuffling, shuffling, turning.、You. Yes, <laughs> I can hear it. Almost hear it. Or phones. People going like this on their Bible phones.、Mm-hmm. I still like the actual physical book, but do what、too. do you think the answer is? We you guys, you guys, you, you act like you you know it. Well, we we、confident. both agree on this. So, do you want to give our answer? Sure.、Uh, number three, summer fruit. A basket of summer fruit. Yes. All right. So let's go over this. You always need to check the answer to make sure that I've asked it correctly and that I've answered it correctly. So,、uh, God showed Amos a basket of something. What was it? Amos chapter eight, verse one. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. We need to pray today, and as we do, concluding the program, let's think about this. Lord, I I give you all my difficulties, all my troubles. Lord, I give you everything, and I pray that you would help me. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said, Lord, Amen and Amen.